A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, where you find us on site at the US Open, Flushing Meadows, the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre for the first time in 2023 and more specifically you find us, myself Catherine Ritzker, Matt Roberts and David Law overlooking a outside court where right now the whooping and hollering that you hear prominently in the background is for Matt Roberts for the artist formerly known as Victoria Kuzmova <laughs> They are loving whatever she's doing, and presumably her opponent as well. They're um, they're sharing the adoration. But honestly, I just came back from getting us a couple of beers for this podcast recording, and I heard this enormous ovation go up, and I thought, "Wow, who's that for?" <laughs> it's suddenly all happening here. <laughs> and isn't then it? I saw the name, and I thought, I, where, "Where do I know that name?" And then I realised it's the new name of Victoria Kismova, and. It all came full circle and over on the huge stage that they erect for Fan Week here outside the uh, the very front of the Arthur Ashe Stadium, uh, Nicholas Jarry is currently being interviewed. Matt. <laughs> Honestly, you guys are lucky I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very privileged. Matt is absolutely in his element. I mean... We all are. It's good to be back, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and 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 the, and the fun ha- doesn't stop there because I, I, I just saw as we came and sat down in our position here in the media cafe, walking head down, looking massively focused, Kevin Anderson charging out towards the qualifying court where he's currently three two down against Thomas or three two up against Thomas Mahat, best player in the world. Yeah. So all of our little favourites, plus a returning runner-up from a few years ago looking ultra-focused. I thought you were calling Kevin Anderson one of our favourites then. I mean, I've, I have no negative feelings whatsoever about Kevin Anderson. I just wouldn't quite perhaps just, go that far. Just don't have any feelings whatsoever. <laughs> Good luck to him. I wish him very well indeed. Um, yeah, look, we are absolutely delighted to be back. We've been delighted to be at Media Day today, speaking to all the runners and riders ahead of the tournament that is that will be the main focus of this show we actually we um we all did a, a, a little event last night didn't we a sort of a, a q a with a few guests um 
organised by one of our listeners, lovely Greg, who has been a guest editor before for us and will be a guest editor again. And one of the questions we got and that we have answered lots of times before is what's your favourite slam? And Matt Roberts summed it up perfectly by saying our favourite slam is the one that's on. (laughs) <laughs> and therefore the one that we're at. And it is with that in mind that I bring you news <laughs> of our sponsor for the US Open. The tennis podcast during the US Open is brought to you in partnership with AO Travel, who operate the travel programme for the first Grand Slam of the calendar year, the Australian Open. It's the next slam after this one. Um, each year, AO Travel brings thousands of tennis fans from across the world to Melbourne Park to witness world-class tennis and soak up one of the world's most livable cities. Melbourne loves to call itself that, doesn't it? And, and it, you know, normally I wouldn't use that word to describe anywhere, but actually it feels very apt when I think about Melbourne because if ever I were to relocate... I could definitely imagine myself. Please don't, David. We've we, <laughs> we're, we're committed a, to this. We're running a business here. <laughs> well, Max Rushton has somehow pulled it off, I hasn't could, he? I could definitely imagine myself living in Melbourne in another life. I can imagine you there too. You are, you, you know, he's I think a man you're that always in your town. element uh, at a at a tennis event. But yeah, I always think of you living sort of living it up in Melbourne whenever we're there. Well, look, if, I'm not necessarily suggesting you all move to Melbourne, but if you would like to go to Melbourne oh, yes, for the Australian Open, AO Travel can take care of your flights, premium accommodation, tournament tickets and behind-the-scenes experiences. You just need to pack your bags. I mean, it says that as if that's an easy thing to do. That's... God. If, if somebody could operate a travel company that did the packing for you, take my money. <laughs> Take my money, uh, pack your bags and get ready for an incredible trip down under. Based in the heart of the sporting capital of the world, in Melbourne, AO Travel have the local knowledge and expertise to deliver an unforgettable experience with insider knowledge of the best restaurants, bars and family-friendly experiences in the city and surrounding regions. And new for 2024, they've also introduced their luxurious AO Travel Lounge to their premium packages, a space for you to wine, dine and generally elevate your AO experience. So go to ozopentravel.com to see what they have to offer and book yourself the tennis trip of a lifetime. And I know what is happening right now as he listens to it. My dad is is typing ozopentravel.com into his browser. <laughs> and the good news for my dad is that AO Travel are offering friends of the tennis podcast a 500 Australian dollar discount of any premium lounge package. So if you're a friend subscriber, look out for our friends newsletter over the weekend for details or write to us at friends at tennispodcast.net and we can send you the discount code to use. So thank you, AO Travel, for being a part of our US Open experience. It always lessens the post-US Open come down to already have one eye on Melbourne in January. But most of our eyes right now are on New York in August slash September, and today they've been on the press conference room, which started with Dog today i can legitimately lead with dog (laughs) tell us more yes there were two points of the day where Catherine was at her brightest i would say they were they were daniel medvedev at the end of the day 
as always he was he was a joy in in the media room and and it was the dog to start the day mm. Yeah, look, Media Day was advertised to be between the hours of 11 and 3. It neither started at 11 nor finished at 3, but (laughs) it did at least start with a dog and end with Daniil Medvedev. So swings and roundabouts (laughs) on Media Day, folks. Actually, the dog wasn't quite quite first up. It was Francis Tiafoe that was first in, wasn't he? But I would like to lead with the dog because Jessica Pagula this week is sponsoring a trainee veteran support dog um, and as part of that uh, sponsorship uh, awareness raising program Ace the trainee dog is accompanying her everywhere she goes and that includes into the press conference room and actually the best aspect of this was um, the whole the whole point of the training is for hello and welcome to the dog podcast the whole point of the uh, dog training program is that they get used to any and every type of situation so they brought ace ace's handlers came into the press conference room and there was about a 20 minute period where ace was just taking it all in being encouraged to sit on the players seats having photos of herself taken. Catherine took their business card. <laughs> I took Ace's business card quite hastily. Yep. As qu- you'll be surprised to hear there's quite a lot of Ace content on our Instagram. Um, Sudden flurry. <laughs> and yeah. then once Ace was comfortable, Jessica Bagula <laughs> then entered the room. Um, and I know what you're all thinking. Why were you so hard on Ash Barty for having a, a baby in the room? and uh, not so harsh on Jessica Pagula for having a dog in the room because it's my podcast is the answer (laughs) I can't logically explain it Uh, I know it's probably not quite right I don't know but I was having a low moment and the universe sent me a dog so great yeah I I also think I mean I don't want to be too serious about it but there's a difference between previewing the tournament and reacting to a, a uh, a, a significant loss um, is how I felt at the time. I mean, look, it's a long time ago now. Maybe it wasn't as big a deal as I felt it was at the time, but uh, but I still generally stand by that. But uh, but actually, I think it what what this um, did enable Pagula to do was just have something else to talk about for a start. Um, and she is somebody who's she doesn't get the attention that others of her ranking from the United States have had in the past, I don't think, men or women. Um, but I think she's making herself impossible to ignore, which I think is... is I'm, I'm pleased about the way she just goes about her business. And she sat down and the first thing she said was sort of, I don't feel that different to last year because I was kind of a runner and rider last year. It's always the same. These type of press conferences are all the, always the same. And, you know, and until the question came about the quarterfinals and she just said, I've just got to win one. And then, well, what am I working on? I've just got to win it. I mean, it's not like there's not some master plan. I was, I've been close to winning one of those matches. She, she didn't seem to be making much of that. See, see, I had a slightly different take on all of that. Sorry, Matt, what, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that I'm always uh, torn on when players say something like, uh, treating each match mm. the same because that hasn't been working for Jessica Pagula. It, it almost feels like she does need to treat those quarterfinals differently. Like that, that was exactly my take. And yeah. and I, I think it's really I think it's really good that she is generally unaffected 
buy it. Like, I don't think... And I'm sorry that whenever I seem to open my mouth on this podcast, Maria Sacchi seems to catch some strays because I'm always bringing her up to sort of illustrate, illustrate my point. But I feel like Sacchi is deeply affected by the sort of baggage that she's built up and it and it has sort of ended up seeping into her tennis generally and she she's become a less consistent force in the sport than she was a couple of years ago. Jessica Pagula is taking these quarterfinal hits but it's not actually sort of knocking her or affecting her at all generally and I find that really impressive. But I do think that when it gets to the quarterfinal stage, something does need to change for her. And maybe maybe it is a question of treating the match a little bit differently to others rather than just sort of thinking, oh, maybe I'll get there eventually because, you know, the odds suggest that I will. You know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of torn about how I feel about all that. I felt I would take it even further than that. I got the impression... And this is something we always look out for and it rings alarm bells for us generally when we hear this. I got the impression she doesn't treat slams differently enough to tour-level events. And I, this is a precarious balance because I really support players supporting the tour and recognising the importance of that. And she does have um, a prominent position on the WTA Players' Council. You know, I appreciate that she's not just treating the tour as a means to prepare for the big events but equally you need to elevate for these big events you need to bring something different you need to bring a different attitude and she she was asked about her confidence levels coming in here like you, this must be the most confident you've ever felt coming into a slam having won that title in Canada and she said no I, f- I feel I don't feel particularly confident, I don't feel unconfident, but she described how she felt as typical. How I feel in a typical week. She said, it's a new week, it's new challenges, that's the attitude that has got me to where I am. That's it. But it's also the attitude that I think is holding her back. And that, yeah, maybe she has to be prepared to sacrifice some consistency in order to maximise at the slams, because by total contrast... Sabalenka was asked later on in the day very directly about whether her approach to tour events has switched, has changed since she became a Grand Slam champion and she said absolutely it has. She said she views them now since becoming a slam winner in Australia as more preparation for slams. That's interesting. And that's obviously extreme and that maybe is not great to hear from a tour perspective but... She's a Grand Slam champion and Jessica Bagula isn't. Yeah, although she did say that she sort of only changed it after winning the Australian Open and it hasn't actually had a sort of huge effect on her slam performances. You know, she's kept up that thing of losing losing from winning positions in semi-finals. But I agree. I, I find it so fascinating when a player's greatest strength and I think Pagula's consistency and level-headedness is kind of her greatest strength can also be something that can sort of hold you back I, I always think it's very difficult for a player when that is the case because how do you how do you juggle and balance those two things but it does does strike me that Pagula is now in a place where yeah elevating at slams needs to needs to be the goal there was some Buffalo Bills chat apparently she spoke to the team yeah there's some, there are some good photos of that with her 
look, frankly, she she looked like the head coach. Yeah, she, the way the way <laughs> she that. was just talking to them, addressing them, and they were really listening and concentrating on what she got to say. And and she was asked about why it is that athletes from different sports like each other's company, and she she went really granular with the answer about how kind of little we see of what goes on. You know, the, she said that. The match play, the wins, are the reward for everything that you have to go through. She said she reckoned in the last couple of weeks she'd done 22 half-an-hour warm-ups for practice, which it's just, it's so... It's so Sounds tedious, Boring, it? yeah, it's tedious, it's, it's relentless, and you've just got to do it. There's no real shortcut, there's no way around that if you want to be the best you can be. I mean, I think that that's... Some, some players like... Kyrgios have found just the sheer tedium of doing that difficult to do and and she won't miss out anything but I think it is a little window into their lives. I appreciated that granular detail actually because it's it's always alluded to how hard the sport is the rigours of the rigours of training, the demands but that's that's a lot harder for us to get our teeth into. That's sort of that's very conceptual, isn't it? We know in the abstract that it is really difficult. We know in the abstract how tedious the life of a tennis pro can be, and yet it feels quite different. As soon as she described the half-hour warm-ups, I thought, that sounds god-awful. There is no amount of money you could pay me. I mean, obviously, that's not true. But I'm exaggerating for effect, but it really does sound utterly mind-numbing. Um, and I, I appreciated that. I appreciate the gym videos that Maria Sakkari and various other players post, you know, actually seeing mm. what it takes. Oh. I find that important. Yeah, watching uh, Cincinnati, it was, the other week, they kept cutting to the feed of the, of the player gym, sort of backstage, pre-match. I could watch that feed on a just... Same. For, just on a loop for hours. I found it fascinating, all the different exercises they're doing and, you know, Carlos Alcaraz is doing all these sorts of things to, I don't know, strengthen his wrists or whatever it is. And then and suddenly he's having a bit of downtime and he's playing, he's playing a bit of temping bowling. It's sort of a temporary temping bowling thing in the, in the gym while Daniel Medvedev's trying to stretch in the corner. Like, I, I find that all fascinating. I don't feel like we see enough of that. I felt like, you know... Maybe the Netflix show could have shown more stuff like that. You know, personally, I tuned out on, in the Netflix show when they started showing match footage because I see that all the time. I, if I'm going to a documentary to tell me more about the sport, I want it to be stuff that I don't see. And I think, you know, the, the actual hours and input that these players have to put into their sport to get as good as they are, I, I think that's, that's fascinating. And generally, they're quite reluctant to actually talk about it because they feel like they might be giving up an edge or whatever and you know so it was I did really appreciate Pagula sort of going into that detail something else that Jessica Pagula was content to talk about to a certain extent while others were reluctant to was the big Saudi Arabia question that as we mentioned on yesterday's draw day show we expected to be a hot topic of of questioning at least perhaps not of answering today with the rumours that Saudi Arabia have made the highest financial bid to host the WTA finals of this year. I think every female player that came through the press conference room today was asked how they felt about that. 
I don't think any of the male players were asked about the next-gen finals confirmed as being uh, staged in Jeddah later this year. And and actually the fact that the, the Saudi Arabia bid for the WTA finals is just that, a bid, was what was being used today as the get-out-of-jail-free card by almost all of the WTA players. Their answer was, nothing's confirmed yet. I don't have an. I can't possibly have an opinion on something hypothetical because that's <laughs> rumours they were yeah, using, the um, and that will hold for a while. Probably not that long, um, but it's it's not going to hold forever. But Jessica Bagula uh, was one of those, and perhaps her position on the players' council contributed to this. One of, was one of those that was prepared to at least give a an answer that illustrated a little of how she feels about things now I, I wish she felt a little differently about things or had a bit more to say but in the context of how unprepared anyone else is to even touch upon the complexities and moral maze that this presents let alone state a position on them in, in that context, she was impressive today. Yeah, I would she say She cleared so. a very low bar. Yeah, and, and, and that bar is, as you said, acknowledge the issues, recognise that this is bigger than tennis and this is bigger than money, um, and mention those issues. And I, and, and I think she made an interesting point about the fact that she would only feel comfortable playing there if somewhere written into some sort of contract or whatever, you know, we don't know the details I suppose there is some requirement for change in Saudi Arabia was basically what she was saying and that might be absolutely impossible to achieve you know certainly the WTA tour and the ATP tour have been in Qatar for for many many years and I you know I don't think I don't think there's been a huge amount of sort of change there but if written into the contract was some sort of metrics of change that the tour needs to see happening in Saudi Arabia to stay there then you know tennis would be doing some sort of good I think that was generally her point I think that's going to be very very difficult to achieve but I did at least really respect that she wanted to say that and I hope that as a member of the council as she is she will be putting that forward in in all the meetings that she's in with the WTA and and we'll see but um yeah, it, it, it was a it was a grown up answer I thought from Pagula, mm. and I was you know particularly impressed that she didn't just dodge it in the way that literally everyone else did. And it's obviously incredibly complex because something else that she was asked about, and a lot of the WTA players was asked about, was equal prize money. This year, the tournament is celebrating the 50th anniversary of awarding equal prize money to men and women. Obviously, we're extremely far from equal prize money across the board at tour level and you know the, the the point was made that the WTA has a lot less luxury than the ATP it's in financially far more dire straits than the ATP and <laughs> look I'm very conscious of that when I when I take the position I do on Saudi Arabia and feel as demoralized as I do at the prospect of the WTA going there because I want the WTA to be able to offer equal prize money and I know they do too and they will say to be able to do that we have to follow the money that's what Billie Jean King urges 
urges women's sport urges everybody to do follow the money and it there is there's a point to be made there and it's incredibly incredibly complex um but i i still leave today feeling really dejected and downcast about that situation within the sport her answers were i think the platform for what the the pr announcement will be if they end up going into business with Saudi Arabia it'll be some sort of there will be some sort of move to to create whether it's a fund or a a, an involvement uh, of women in Saudi Arabia that they can point to that because they have to they have to have something to say that they're addressing this and doing some good Um, how legitimate and far-reaching and relevant that is will be difficult to ascertain I think is the problem because you can dress these things up Um, but that's the ground is being laid for that right now I think the question mark will be whether overall they decide that I mean it was interesting having Marketa von Drusseva in the interview room saying she would love it to be in Prague you know and and that they're from the reporting of John Wertham there is a bid in for from Prague it's just not as much money as as Saudi Arabia so given there are wider goals of one and equal prize money and some of the financial difficulties the WTA is in what do they do do they chase the money at every cost or do they go for something like that I mean I would love to see it in Prague and have full crowds and and all the rest of it but what, what you can are we see doing wrong happening. as a world and as a people where <laughs> the the only the, the most enticing finance the only people entity prepared to invest wholeheartedly in women's sport is is a state which thoroughly devalues women like yeah that that situation makes me despair somewhat um <laughs> yeah it's thoroughly demoralizing and 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 ps um Sorry, we will move on to chirpier things, but that is not... The the situation regarding women in Saudi Arabia is far from the only human rights abuse going on there. Um, It's a a country where homosexuality is illegal and there is the very real prospect that Dari Kazakina, an openly gay female player, qualifies for the WTA finals. That's that's not being talked about. and I hope it will be and will will be part of the people talking about it. But there is just, there's so much at play here and so much at stake. Um, and there's a premium on talking about it right now because it's nearly September and we don't know where the WTA finals is going to be played. And 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 I think it was Igor Fiontek who, who complained that when it was held in Fort Worth last year, they were told that in the first event of this year, they would know where it's going to be. Uh, or at the start of this year, they would know where it's going to be. And here we are, nine months in, virtually, into the calendar, and we still don't have an announcement. That's so far from ideal. Yeah, and Igor Sviontek made the point that, uh, and this was one of the things I... One of the few things I was pleased to hear in relation to an answer to this question was she said she really wants to play Billie Jean King Cup Yeah. for, for Poland this year, but she can't commit to it because she doesn't even know when the WTA finals are let alone where 
Um, and that is a look I know it's that's not the situation that Liberty A want to be in either it's far from ideal for them but it is it's extremely suboptimal um, and it does need to be resolved um, Igor Schwantek there wasn't wasn't a huge amount to to take I don't think from from what she had to say today did anybody um, happier with the balls between any lines mm. happier with the balls yes well it was it was her that I think sort of led the led the charge for them to change they've gone from the regular duty Wilson balls to the extra duty Wilson, Wilson balls that they're using this year so the same as the men basically now and she says they're more durable uh, they they fly less. They're easier to control in these conditions. I mean, of course, this all comes with the, the sort of irony that she ended up winning the tournament last year, uh, and you know we'll see. We'll obviously see how she gets on this year. Um, I was absolutely astonished that the world number one didn't know that they were bringing in sort of video review for this tournament on several of the courts like how does how does that message not not get through is that is that tennis not doing enough to push that message or is that just a sort of another example of Iga Svantec being totally in her own sort of bubble and anything outside of you know forehands and backhands and some a bit of you know strategy or whatever and fitness and you know everything that she can control everything else being sort of not something that she's wants to think about or is prepared to think about I don't know I, I just I found it bizarre like I, I can't imagine another sport where you know quite a genuinely important thing is coming in and like the top athlete is like huh I don't know like, Actually, it's weird. I, I suppose in football you sometimes see a player's misunderstanding of what the laws of the game but like quite are. a niche but that would be a niche thing yeah like this is Big. What 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 is it again? The the the, the video replays are yeah. for double bounces, so that a player can ch- they they actually get three challenges, don't they? Like they used to with the Hawkeye for things like double bounces, exactly. So that the umpire can just have a look to tell you know something that is tough to tell in real time. Double bounces, or I don't know, double hit, or whether thank, you touch the ball at the net. Yeah, like th- th- things that are just difficult to pick up on in real time here at the US Open this year that technology is going to be available on certainly all the main courts and and some of the others as well. I think it's a it's a good move. It's something they've trialed at at the next gen finals in the past and everyone agreed it worked and then it didn't it didn't come in. But the US Open have brought it in and yeah, I don't know. I just I just found it weird if you know just I think I, I can't really imagine like I don't know, the captain of Man United or something being like, huh? Are we, are we using VAR today? <laughs> it's, I mean, a lot, a lot of communication appears to take place on whether it's a player intranet or a mm. email going out, and, and I'm just. I not... don't think Shontek spending a lot of time on the intranet. No, I no. don't think so. And, uh, and I mean, look, I'm, I'd like to think really they go around to the players and brief them on on stuff like that. But also, I think sometimes when it comes from a Grand Slam, they just do stuff. They don't. <laughs> They don't necessarily like the the tours and the players often seem to find out when we do, um, which is such a weird thing about tennis, isn't it? Because on one hand, I have this feeling of no, oh, nothing will ever change. We talk about all these things that feel like absolutely no brainers to us to change about the sport to improve it, but then in the back of all of our, all of our minds, we're thinking 
yeah, it never will because it is tennis and there's the G7. There are seven entities that have to agree on anything for even the tiniest change to, to happen or stance to be taken. But then on the other hand, you have Grand Slams just every now and then doing whatever the hell they want without notice <laughs> yeah. you know the French You're looking Open at you, Roland Garros. French Open moving to October and I mean it's, it's um, interesting I, I think there are some players that would be very I think this is this is another nub of the problem is they're not that reachable for tournaments um, I mean a, a guy like Eric Buterek who works behind the scenes here or they've got Jamie Baker at Wimbledon and Laura Robson now people that are in touch with players how how many of them have direct contact to Iga Swiatek? How available is she? Because I would imagine not very, because she doesn't want to be busy it, playing it, Lego. It, well, it makes I think her life is simplified, uh, her career is simplified by not having too many people in it. I would mm. imagine, and and then for you, you've got to go through various people in order to to get any message across. Um, but I suspect other players are probably more reachable. Mm. Interesting. I could barely Just hear guesses. portions of that answer, David, over the the sound of roars for... Uh, what's her new name? Victoria Runkakova. And how's she getting on as we're, we speak? We're, we're in a deciding set tie-break. <gasps> the drama. Wow. Mm. Do keep us posted, Matt. Oh, I um, will. Coco Goff. David, you had an interesting question for Coco Goff about Brad Gilbert, or I get the impression she really wants us to call him BG. <laughs> yes, I think it's like he wants to be called BG as well. That's what Andre Agassi always used to call him. Yeah, I was, I was really just, I, I was aware in a way that she has now been racking up the tournament wins and successes, or at least runs since Wimbledon and has probably answered this question more than once you know at these tournaments I just haven't been at any of them and and so I wanted to know from her what she's hearing from her new coaching team that she hadn't really heard before they joined and bless her she didn't Go, give me the Alexander's Zverev well go and read my previous transcript answer <laughs> which, uh, which, which I could have got um, and she actually engaged with it and she I think the main thing she was saying is it's coming from him the fact that the message that he, he's giving is not necessarily not necessarily groundbreaking information but, it, but he has earned the right to be heard and listened to and respected because of what he's done in the game, the people he's coached, the way, and I also think the way he delivers a message. Mm. You know, honestly, sounds like she's just getting David Law voice, voice notes. notes. Yeah. That's what I when I heard that answer, I was like, oh, she's just employed a David Law. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> because she said she said the sport is not as serious or as important in reality as it is in my mind. And Brad Gilbert has a way of relaxing her, I think. And I, I find that really quite sort of sweet in a way because I think... I, I don't think the Venn diagram of interests that Coco Goff and Brad Gilbert have is much bigger than tennis. Like, I don't think Brad Gilbert knows about TikTok and I don't think Coco Goff knows about the I, bands that Brad Gilbert talks about. I also about. don't think... If we, poll, if we polled... How many people are there in this media garden... 10 and all of them will know who BG is if you polled them all and said describe Brad Gilbert in three words I don't necessarily think relaxing would, <laughs> would appear on the Venn diagram mm. very prominently right no that's 
That but probably is true, but he just has a way of relaying mm, these messages he's that David not anxious. said. He's not anxious in the coaching box. He's not anxious around. He's been there and he's done it. And, he's, and he believes in her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's, seen, he's seen the best of her, and he's just trying to get her to be that. Yeah. He, he believes in her, and Goff recognises that the fact that he believes in her means that she should believe in herself because of the guys that he's coached Validating. before. We all need external validation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's something quite sweet about the fact that these two totally different people, you know, share, share the common language of, of tennis, mm. and, and he is able to tap into Coco Goff's mind and and translate his ideas in a way that do get across to her I, I, I think it's brilliant yeah I agree I still haven't done my predictions but I I do have a feeling I'm going to end up picking Coco Goff to win this title maybe possibly interesting I had that feeling last night after the draw and nothing about today has changed that feeling yeah, I can I can understand why. I, I think I've never believed in her more than I do right now. But I, I'm not a massive believer in the success in the lead-up being replicated at the Grand Slam. Yeah. And, and I, You're very consistent with that. My feeling is that Carlos Alcaraz will turn around the Djokovic defeat and win this. My feeling is that, and, he'll, and they'll meet in the final, and my feeling is that Igor Sviantek will turn around that match from That's a week it. or like, so is, ago. Is seven wins in favour of Sviantek, does that matter more than one most recent win in favour of Coco Goff? No, I feel like you're, it doesn't. You're it saying doesn't. yes, though, David. Like, that history that Sviantek's got against Coco Goff, there's, like, we can't just disregard that just because Coco Goff got one win like Shvontek has shown that she she does dominate that matchup I, and I I do agree with your point David and obviously I think we need a Brunka Cobra oh, update Matt terrible news but my internet's gone down <laughs> I think someone but I think, I think that huge might have won. was Brunka Kova winning a point no it's seven all okay wow right first we- to ten everyone <laughs> <laughs> um Oh, that's why the rule was... Anyway, um, they probably thought it was a match point being saved there, didn't they? Bless them. Uh, What was I going to say? I do agree with your general point, David, and I obviously got my fingers burned uh, on the clay this year, re-reading too much into results in the lead-up tournament. Runa, Medvedev, all of that. Um, But it's it's the combination of the form with the Brad Gilbert because Brad Gilbert has got people to do this swing to use Canada and Cincinnati and take it into the US Open yeah oh, the, 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 there's a lot of evidence to, to push that I've not seen her come into this tournament like I say with me believing in her more but also the, you can see this frisson of excitement around her within the American media here they all mm. believe that this is happening and she is being held up as the American hope, the player who is who is going to contend for this title. And I haven't seen that around her before. Um, and I think Brad Gilbert does add some additional legitimacy to it. I just feel like 
do you beat Igor Svantec twice in a row? Um, and I will, and I, I may change my mind about that. I've changed my mind before, even in Grand Slams, um, as they've gone along. But right now, I, I just... I don't think Sviantec is going to be the same player she was in Cincinnati. I think she, Goff could, could play... Really, I mean, it still was really close at the end. I think Goff could play really well and lose. Mm. That, that is quite possible against... Because Iga's that good. One of the tennis sliding door moments of um, 2023 for me is what if Goff had beaten Kenin in the first round of Wimbledon? It feels like that loss could end up being, maybe this is a conversation for if and when Coco Goff wins this US Open, but could be completely defining for her a real crossroads in her career. I don't think she'd be working with Brad Gilbert right now if she hadn't lost round one of Wimbledon. It was certainly the the result that Jessica Pagula cited, mm. wasn't it? You know, everyone was asked kind of about Coco Goff and Pagula, obviously being her doubles partner, was one of them. And she she said that first round loss at Wimbledon. I can't remember her exact words, but and it sort of jolted her, jolted her, motivated her mm. to sort of try and take her game to the next level. So yeah, I think I think that's true. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Let's round off the WTA players that we saw today, seeing as, seeing as we focused on those Let's first go! Let, is it happened? Well, he said game, set and match, and on my scores, it's 9-8 from Kokova. 
Wow. So, sounds like they were the disappointing the news I have oh, for is that I think due to rain... It's only well, a second it's round. It's only a second round, yeah. yeah. Confirmed. 10-8 in the so tie this break. probably means she's got to come back at about 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. <laughs> was that, was that a Colombian again? player she was up against? Which I think might explain why there was such a dim suggesting I mean, they weren't cheering for oh, they, yeah. they definitely weren't I was out there earlier the, the Colombian players <laughs> do get a fantastic amount of support uh, is my experience yeah. of nothing against from Kokova it's right. not personal <laughs> she only needs Matt um, <laughs> let's talk briefly about Marketa Vondrosheva um, who's first it was her first experience of being in that position I don't think she'd have been brought for pre-tournament media before. No, I, I think it, really she was there that, no. because she's now a Wimbledon champion. This is her first Grand Slam as a Grand Slam champion, and that was something she was asked about. What are the best and worst things about being a Wimbledon champion? And she said the worst thing is the pressure, which is quite honest of her, I thought, to reveal that, that she, you know the pressure is something she's aware of and something she doesn't like yeah you, a, lot, you, a lot of them will go yeah I'm aware the, the pressure is you guys it's all it's all you guys think there's pressure but I'm fine I'm fine about it yeah you, you can see that the status of Grand Slam champion Wimbledon champion isn't something that she immediately clicks into and, and is fine with and is understanding of it, it that win came as a bit of a shock to her as well and, and she loved it you can see how proud she is she, you can see when she talked about her sister and her family just how much that has meant to them and I think she could retire tomorrow and be happy with what's happened now you know it's one of those results but obviously she isn't going to retire tomorrow and she wants to have a, a career with which has legs in, in the future you kind of have to find a way to manage this new world that you're in. And, and uh, yeah, she's, she's clearly not completely 100% okay with that, but also isn't running away. And, and, and I, liked, I like her. I like the way she comes across in the mm. interview room. And, um, and she's, she's already got the, the tattoo, she said, on the, on the, the coach. The she got it here a, in New York, co- I think, was what she, mm, yes. she implied. With the date. And she's got the date of the Wimbledon final. Yeah. Classic. Tough for Jabir <laughs> to have that date, to know that that date is tattooed about someone's person. Yes, true. And did you see uh, Jabir said that she had uh, practiced with Van Drosheva before this tournament, and and the journalist was like, was that you know trying to exercise the demons? And she said, I tried. It did not work. <laughs> <laughs> there's that, there's that trauma gif, isn't there? Yes. Mm, that feels like uh, trauma. Yeah. On Jabir's life right now. <laughs> yeah. um, she was asked about Frankie the cat and she ignored the question, which I really respected. <laughs> yeah, we've done. Marquette von is also tired of questions about Frankie. So that's, that's reassuring. If, if Frankie were a dog. It would, I would still find Great it a question. bit like, look, I'd be doing more Googling of Frankie. <laughs> Clearly, um, but I would feel a bit sorry for her still. The whole like, okay, there's there's more to this woman than a than her pet. Yeah. Let's find something else. Yeah, like there's more to your conta than baking. Ex- exactly. 
that exactly. was always the. Um, was didn't get the, the impression Von Drosheva loved New York. She said, she said she's kind of trying to go with the flow and work with it, but she said it's not for everyone. Can be too much sometimes. Yeah, we we, we do hear that quite a lot. Mm. Yeah, and and she also wasn't a huge fan of the initiative that they have here, which I think is absolutely great that you know fans can come here and pack out the practice sessions of, of the big players. Mm. And she was like, there are quite a lot of people watching my practices. <laughs> she didn't love it, did she? And, and actually, I was interested to hear about Novak Djokovic's setup generally yeah. here. Yes. That, yeah, that my he, advice to Fondrasia would be use the Wimbledon millions to do what Djokovic is doing, which is sort of just have two bases in the most expensive city in the world. Yeah. <laughs> have a have a city base and have a a sprawling New Jersey estate. Yeah. Have a friend <laughs> yeah. who has an estate that you can live on. And depending on your mood or your requirement for focus, you can choose yeah. where you he spend the night. He has really worked that out over mm. the years, hasn't he, to... to just fine-tune what goes with his life and because a lot of the players Medvedev referenced it as well is that the, the, the city it's exciting but it can be a bit too much it can be tiring I think for them um, and yeah Djokovic has worked out a way to to just have his family out get the buzz of the city but then just relax in his incredible pad Matt had a great question for Djokovic that's kind of you. <laughs> I, and I don't know how much... Uh, I don't think Djokovic lied in the answer. I don't know how much of it was sportsmanship mm. in the answer. Mm. Tell us, what was your question, Matt? Tell us what happened. I asked him about the fact that, you know, all throughout his career he's had rivals. He's got this new rival now in Carlos Alcaraz. And when he's in a rivalry like that, how much of his time and attention and sort of focus is on that one specific player, particularly in terms of his training? Like, is he working on stuff to, you know, use against that player in matches? And I suppose I was just kind of thinking of the fact that we always talk about the fact that rivalries are so great because rivals make one another better and... You know, we think of some of the rivalries we've had recently and I really don't think it was a coincidence that Roger Federer needed to change his racket and work on his backhand. You know, that felt like a move to try and counter Rafael Nadal. It felt like Rafael Nadal was living in Federer's head and he needed to do something to change that, and he did. And I just wondered whether there was anything in particular about Carlos Alcaraz that has made know about Djokovic maybe change some of his training methods or work on new things and yeah I mean he didn't go into detail he he, he did say that he's definitely keeping an eye on oh, Carlos Alcaraz thing. it was it was a, it was a great question and not a great answer for <laughs> three quarters of it and it was a long answer he just he tries to help you but doesn't want to give anything away. The, the, I thought the three quarters were him trying to not disrespect. Yes. The what, what we can say. Everyone else. Everybody else. The opponents that he's essentially just dismissing. Yes. You know the the incredible draw he has yeah. I that mean, we talked about last yeah. night. I mean, he did sort of say, "You could say I'm so good that I can ignore those first few rounds." Yeah. And I'm like, "Yes, I do say that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I the three quarters were him. 
not wanting to be quoted as saying I'm only focused on playing Carlos Alcaraz in the final and that's what I'm training for which I really get and mm. I, I respect that actually that he does care about yeah. how, and, how that comes across but then then he gave you a good little answer because then he revealed that yes my team are watching his matches mm. and his team are watching my matches mm. and absolutely we know exa- I mean he didn't say it in as many words but absolutely yeah. he's aware of his team what the aren't out there doing. watching Nicholas Jarry's matches. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> Jarry, get it not, it, then you take it away. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting that I, I'd spent the whole press conference, A, trying to attract the attention of the moderator to be chosen, and I s- s- spectacularly failed, and also trying to Maybe find a way... David Law in the corner. <laughs> did them this one. <laughs> uh, Matt Roberts got in ahead of me. Uh, and, and I was also trying to find a way to word my question which would have been I think quite a good follow up to what you asked and I was trying to find a way to word it where he wouldn't feel that he was going to disrespect other players by uh, addressing my question about Carlos Alcaraz which is if you got to the final right and I told you right now you were in the final you'd obviously be really happy about it but would you be happier if your opponent, if I told you your opponent is going to be Carlos Alcaraz, or if I told you it was going to be somebody else, because in theory the somebody else gives you a better chance to win, but you've got this whole thing going on, Carlos Alcaraz, at the moment. So which is it? <laughs> what do you think the answer is? And, and by the way, Not I think necessarily... that's a great question, and there are several more Novak Djokovic press conferences yeah, to come. It's this a tournament, fantastic question. I think I we can. I think we can get would, that one in there. I don't know if he would give an honest answer. Well, I think he'd be so. He would be really wary of sounding like he's in any way taking anybody else for granted yeah. or disrespecting them or saying he, that they're not a threat. But, but he he's good probably, at talking around. He would probably that. do the same thing. He'd give three quarters yeah. of an answer of waff and then get to something. I think if you if, if he had to give you an, a, an answer, one or the other, he would want Alcaraz. I think, I think his dream scenario is winning this US Open, beating Carlos Alcaraz in the final, and he Absolutely. believes just, and it, thinks he can do that. It's a risk. It's, it's just higher risk. Yeah. It's high risk, I think he'd, ta- he'd take the higher risk, I think. I think so. At this stage of his career, I think he can absolutely afford to. If, he, if he wasn't already on 23... Yeah, I mean that that yeah, might come into it because I, I do. I think, think if he was if he didn't have the outright Grand Slam lead yet, the answer might be different. Yeah, I I, I think the the. Yeah. I think he was pretty happy to play Kasparud in the French Open final. Yeah, I mean he's, he 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 made it clear that he is pumped to be here at the U.S. Open regardless of of anybody. But there's no question that Alcaraz has elevated his desire to to just get out there and be part of something and they're quite happy to be asked about one another I think they like they? each other they and I think it. that they are they're buzzing about what what they're pushing each other to yeah. the extremes that Al- they're pushing my each other main to. impression from Alcaraz's press conference is you know most people's default facial expression is just neutral or you know arsier than neutral in some people's cases and then their face can break out into a smile his default facial expression is smile and it occasionally breaks out into neutral but not that often and actually the neutral from Alcraz came when he was asked about what is it like to be you now in the city here compared say a year ago and do you ever get 
because we always talk about how easily he seems to handle the life and mm. not get upset and and always seems to be that default happy but he said you know sometimes sometimes I would like if I could just be normal and just go out somewhere and I guess not be bothered by people and yet he didn't want to put it in those words because he he also clearly loves it and he appreciates it but it's it must be a lot to have to deal with and uh, and that was a rare moment of understanding what his life is like and that it's it's not always great mm. yeah he felt he felt ready though didn't he I mean the first the first answer he gave was I'm ready then he smiled <laughs> I'm practicing well I'm super excited let's get it <laughs> it's a great answer isn't it <laughs> says it all yeah, yeah. press conference over yeah. yeah see you in the final in two weeks <laughs> Um, we we had Daniel Medvedev last up today. It was about an hour ago that we were in his press conference, a lot more than that. And um, he was asked a lot about Djokovic and Alcaraz, wasn't he? Um, and and then I asked him whether he was irritated by that at all, or just generally how that made him feel that they are hogging so much of the limelight in men's tennis at the moment you you emerged on the scene in the I didn't put this in my question but you emerged on the scene in the in the latter stages of the big three there's no longer a big three but <laughs> but there's there's something else now taking up all the oxygen in the room does that does that bother you and the answer is emphatically no David yeah he's he, he, He's curious himself. He likes watching their rivalry. He thinks it's good for the sport. I think he he recognises that he's benefiting from it as well. I don't think he... Look, he's not enjoying his results against Carlos Alcaraz. That much is clear. Um, But I think he's quietly confident and quietly pumped about the idea of being the party pooper. You asked him the question about being a disruptor. And he, he was quite happy to go along with the fact that I've done quite well, he said, in that role in, in the past. In that role, he said. You know, yeah. and, and I thought, yeah, actually, if there's something that is going to get Daniel Medvedev's juices flowing, it's the idea of messing all of that vibe and... Particularly here in up. New York, where yeah. that's how he made his name. Yeah, I mean, look, he's by the guy messing who, up a vibe he's the by guy being a party booter. messed up the calendar slam. Mm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and yeah, he, he, he loves said it. consciously no I'm not consciously thinking yeah I love being a disruptor but he said subconsciously it probably is there somewhere because I have performed well in that role and I found that yeah I found that really interesting and then you Matt asked him about he said he was he was quite minimizing wasn't he of his recent form at, at the start of the press conference which I found interesting because that is anomalous for him to have performed mm. as badly relatively as he did in Canada and Cincinnati. I thought he might be more shaken by that. Yeah, uh, because he's, as you said, he's, he's traditionally had really good results in this, this time of the season. And watching his matches, I didn't think he was, he was playing that well over the last couple of weeks. And in particular, I didn't think he was serving very well. So I asked him... You know, you said you hadn't been playing great. Was it the serve in particular? And he, and he said yes. Like the serve 
sounds like it's been a bit of an issue. It, it, he sort of said that everyone goes through a period in their career where, where they have a bit of an issue with the serve. And it sounded like he's going through that period now. He didn't sort of go into any detail about what, what the exact issue is. But just from watching his matches, he is hitting a lot of double faults at the moment. Like way more than he used to hit. And he said that the serve is the shot which saves you. Which I thought was a really interesting expression because, you know, it's true. Like, if you're not, if the rest of your game's not great, you can at least lean on that serve. And he's not been able to do that in the past couple of weeks because his, his serve's been troubling him. But he did, he did say he feels like he serves well here at the US Open and he sort of hopes to get that back. And it's such a weapon for, for Medvedev when his serve is, is working. I, th- I think I under, I think, I don't, I don't think of Medvedev as a big server necessarily but when it's firing he really can just roll the arm over hold serve in a minute and put the pressure back on the his opponent and I think he's lost that ability recently because his serve's been letting him down so that feels like the sort of pillar of his game that we need to sort of watch out for over the next couple of weeks speaking of serves we we all went to John Isner's final pre-Grand Slam press conference today and it was really interesting, wasn't it? It was, it was a good time. I'd, I've not been to that many John Isner press conferences over the course of my career, but um, I enjoyed it. And David, you asked him, to be honest, about how he felt about retirement, really realistically, given, you know, you cited the examples of players that are coming out of retirement, players that you might have expected to rock retirement to be really at peace with it we're seeing Caroline Mosiaki and Kevin Anderson two seemingly well-adjusted family family men and women who obviously feel like there's unfinished business like there's something kicking around in their brains saying what if and he was very clear extremely emphatically clear in this press conference that that's not going to be him he said he intends to he, he doesn't think it's going to be easy. He's under no illusions that there won't be rocky, maybe even dark periods, but he he is at peace with the decision. He said he's planning to attack different avenues professionally, and I thought it was very restrained of you, David, with your follow-up to not specifically press him on whether pickleball is one of those avenues. <laughs> I did say, like what? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and he didn't reveal. I mean, he did, he did make the point that you know it's, you, it takes a lot over 17 years to get this body ready for for action because six ten, six eleven as he is. Did you punch the air when he said that? I, I did. I felt him. I really did. You know. I mean, I'm, I, I I can't do any sporting activity. I find it hard enough getting out of bed, uh, and I'm several inches shorter than he is. But. You know, it, it is quite an achievement to have a career of that length and give it the battering that he has um, and, and to have kept going for that long. But, yeah, I'm often curious about players calling it a day. You know, he's got a, he's got a lovely family and, and he's obviously made enough money and everything like that, but are you worried about not having this anymore? And he, he, when he breaks it down, he said, every day of my last 17 years has been directed into how can I improve how can I improve on the court in the gym even when I'm resting with a, with designs on being a better tennis player and getting better results and suddenly you no longer have that goal that is just removed from your life and I 
I off, uh, in your 30s for that to be the case I think a lot of players really struggle mentally with that um, he's pumped about getting involved in business initiatives and, and all sorts of things and I don't think he'll have any issues really uh, of that type but he, he is actually a good talker I don't, I don't always like what he's tweeted over the over the years, and he, it was actually quite interesting that he, he's, he his advice would be to to not tweet to people. And I was thinking, crikey, you haven't taken your own advice, mate. <laughs> you know, you're always getting. And I'm, I mean, who am I to talk? You're always getting into it with people. That's familiar. Um, but he, he is a good talker, yeah. In press conferences. Yeah, and he he like all the American men that came through press today. Taylor Fritz, Francis Jaffe was asked about the Andy Roddick. 20-year anniversary, and one of the moments of the day was Francis Yaffo's reaction to that question, wasn't it? Yeah, sort of a, a really extravagant shake of the head, as if to say, "Oh God, here we I go!" Knew I this knew was this coming. was coming. I was going to ask, going to ask 20, you know. And it reminds me of Andy Roddick 20 years ago plus being asked relentlessly about being the the follower of Sampras Nagasi and. You know, the first thing Roddick said when he came into his 2003 winning press conference was, no more questions about <laughs> when's the next American man going to win or the US Open. and Because, and, you know, you forget that he'd been a pro for some three years or so and he's just, he'd just been hammered with this stuff relentlessly and not been delivering. That's the thing. And then finally delivered and, and he could he could just lift that pressure off his shoulders Tiafo, I, I his was my favourite press conference of the day he, I, I was curious to see how he would handle coming back now I still don't necessarily think it will automatically translate on well onto the court but it translated really well into the interview room he just he, he, he just is good vibes when he's talking when he gives you a line um, and yeah I think he's just buzzing about the chance to go out there again I think that this tournament just gets his juices flowing unlike any other and and I suspect we're going to see a different version of him than we've mm. seen all year long I thought he gave a fascinating answer explaining the sort of crossroads in his career when he I guess became a sort of serious player and a serious sort of top player where he said he sort of said when you're so talented <laughs> and I was like sure yeah you can say that he said you can rest on that talent and you can just expect it to come and then when you do that and adversity hits you're not ready and he said that he's learned to not do that and I thought that was kind of summed up the sort of two different halves of Francis Tiafo's career that we've that we've experienced and now he's he's in that bit where he's not he's not resting on his his talent anymore and I think I think there were, you know there was a real insight into into his relationship with Wayne Ferreira in the in break point and I think Wayne Ferreira has been a sort of mm, huge an important voice and, and, and part of that making him realize that and um, yeah gosh I, I, I agree with David I was I was just taken back to 12 months ago and I was like oh we're with Tiafo in New York again the vibes are good. He's talking about wanting everyone to be drunk as hell after after three p.m. in the crowd and make as much noise as possible. And I'm like, yeah, I want to see that again over the next over yeah, the next two. It's, that, it feels like a place a, I want to be transported back. Yeah, to. it's it's a thing that's been you know 
missing for 12 months. I want to I want to experience it again, and, and he does, desperately. He also gave an incredible line about Gael Monfils, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. And mm. an exchange that they had had in the locker room. I can't remember exactly what the question was, but he goes, yeah, yeah, I was, I was talking about this with, with Gael last week. Yeah, Monfils is... Telling me that that you you know when when I was playing, he, he, he basically <laughs> said that Gail had said to him that if he were playing now, as in post Big Three era, obviously Djokovic is very much still around, but post Pat Hunter post Pat Hunter era, he'd be cleaning up. <laughs> that is basically what Tiafo summarised Monfils's comments as, and Tiafo was like. Whoa there, Gail. <laughs> There's this Alcaraz guy, and Djokovic is more motivated than ever, and he was like, I'm not so sure about that. Hold your horses there, but, but it was but incredible then did, insight. Then he did sort of tag on at the end. I'm, I am glad I'm playing in the era I'm in. Like, mm. I, I do think... I think he recognises that, you know, as good as, as, as Djokovic is now... He's not going to go on for that much longer. And then, obviously, you've got Alcaraz. But Monfils was up against Federer, Nadal and Djokovic in their prime for several, several years. It's unfortunate for them all that there's not a gap, isn't there? Like, as brilliant a player as, as Andy Roddick was, and I was a huge, huge fan of his, he just snuck in in time didn't, and got that slam and got that world number one, didn't he? If he'd left it six months, the Federer's stranglehold had had begun there was a window there between Sampras domination and Federer domination when Carlos Ferrero snapped up a slam Leighton Hewitt capitalised and had an 18 month period of dominance Andy Roddick got his slam timing is everything and Alcaraz's precociousness is making it look like there's not the window that I feel like a lot of players next gen I'm looking at you have been subconsciously waiting for yeah I, I, I mean look obviously I've said 12 in a row uh, <laughs> that, that's not a window <laughs> <laughs> so forget it everybody forget it um, obviously none of, none of us have done our predictions yet but have uh, just to wrap up our media day show have any of us had any big changes in thoughts about what a player is going to do how they're going to perform as a result of media day the way no, that we sometimes I do actually the one player I, re- I did want to speak to and try and get a sense of is Elena Rabatkina who didn't mm. didn't come in today I'm not I'm not quite sure why there's always a couple of stragglers isn't there yeah and David might be cleaning up those stragglers while Matt and I are on the road on some sort of highway (laughs) en route to Foxborough Massachusetts tomorrow Uh, yeah Andy Murray's due in tomorrow I hope Elena Rabatkina is down to come but don't know yeah like she's my big she's my big unknown I suppose in in the women's draw but no honestly I didn't I I don't have concrete feelings about uh, who I think is going to win this tournament it is and a requirement of your role today. on this podcast to I will come up to with some. just produce some concrete I th- feelings I think everybody's been feels burnt after last year think being convinced that Iga Sviantek yep. had let us in on how she hated the city <laughs> and she's got no chance <laughs> then she goes and wins it I'm burned by everything <laughs> I'm, I'm nothing but predictions trauma 
at this point. Um, wow, two more days till it all gets going, and there's the very real possibility that qualifying will be taking place right up until it's going to go right up to the wire. I mean, weather permitting, they should. Uh, if the rain holds off tonight, be able to get the second round matches completed so that they can play all of the third round qualifying matches tomorrow when the forecast is good. But it's been I don't know, it feels it's like there could be rain still in the air. It has tonight. been like a solid September mm. day. It's going to get better, David. Day after day. It really. is going to get better. better. I promise you that. We Thank start. You with our daily podcasts from Monday 14 of them folks and then we'll have our review show and our Q&A show for friends of the tennis podcast uh, in the aftermath of the final Grand Slam of the year but our next regular show will be Monday our first show of the 2023 US Open before that we're going to do a live show on Sunday, hopefully here from the US Open, pending permissions. <laughs> <laughs> TBC on that, but that is, that's plan TBC. A. Uh, plan B is great too, if those permissions don't come through in time, don't worry. Uh, but that is, that is the hope. We'll be with you. Do we want to set a time? Hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Sometime in the afternoon, our time, evening UK. Keep across our socials. I'm going to suggest it's going to be mid-afternoon US time on Sunday, two two o'clock, three o'clock, something like that. Sounds believable. Yeah. Keep across our <laughs> socials for exact confirmation. But that's the plan for Sunday. I know a few of you have been in touch to say they're disappointed that that show won't be available as a podcast. This is an extra, folks. There, it's not a show that would have been a podcast. Um, that we're taking away from people that aren't interested in video shows. The podcasts are untouched. This is a bonus for anybody that particularly enjoys seeing our faces. Bocco. Um, <laughs> it is the very definition, folks, of Bocco. So watch this space for exact timings, and we'll be with you on Sunday for a live YouTube show. And then, of course, it all kicks off in earnest on Monday brought to you in association with AO Travel throughout the fortnight and also with Willow, our US Open mascots. I'm looking at some pictures of Willow on her Instagram page, which is an absolute treat. Willow Cucumber is her apparently her, her surname, uh, and she's an absolute delight. So thank you, Willow, for being our US Open mascot. Oh, my God, goodness, I wish... I wish I hadn't just logged into Instagram. Some Sitsidosa content was sprung upon me. Um, <laughs> uh, what else? We have our mascots. I've got Xenia. Matt's got Darwin and David has Maisie. Oh, Maisie. Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. Thanks to you all. And Matt, we have shout outs. We start with Kim Ferguson in Glasgow. Hey. That is an excellent Scottish name, Kim like Ferguson. Clysters, who was the subject of our recent Tennis Relived, which is still available for you now if you are a friend of the Tennis Podcast. Absolutely. There's only one Tennis Kim, isn't there? Yes, Can't think of any others. It's not uh, <laughs> Kim Birrell. <laughs> tennis... Tennis Kim, but not quite so <laughs> but well not known. not the Tennis Kim. 
Thank you, Kim. <laughs> We've also got Mark Savitsky, who is in Sydney. Hello, Mark. Right, Mark. Mark actually comes up with his with his own uh, tennis mark. He says, once when working for ATP Fan Fest at White City in the late 90s, I played mini tennis with my namesake, Mark Rosset. Oh, Mark Rosset. Is this mark also Mark with a C? He does point out the different spelling. Same church, different pew. Exactly. Mark Rosset, who was sitting on the... Wimbledon roof whilst I was trying to steal the picnic table that he was sat at so that we could get undercover um, and he, he just didn't move so I had to go somewhere else <laughs> Mark Rosset who I interviewed during the pandemic and who called me back to deliver an addendum Oh, that, that mm. was good wasn't it that was a great moment what was the addendum about it was about the, the Olympics. Olympics relived, the 1992 Olympics that mm. he won and yes, I can't quite I think, remember what the I think he was. I think he just felt like he hadn't quite got to the heart of got the to the heart of it or, d- or done it justice. Yeah, and he wanted to give you a little bit mm. more. That has never happened to me before. <laughs> that, a, that an interviewee has called me it's back. Happened to me since. Thank you, Mark. Yes. And finally, we have Alan Al, and Ooh. Alan says last name pronounced is pronounced like you hurt yourself. <laughs> really appreciate that. Very helpful. Guidance, Alan. Cheers, Alan. Alan Mills, the former Wimbledon referee. lifting the covers fame. Yes, absolutely. And who once um, (laughs) refereed... (laughs) He uh, adjudicated our end of year awards. Yes. We've come a long way since then. I think that was fantastic content. It was, it was, it was great. It's the best pre-match content we've ever had. Wasn't that at the Albert Hall? It was, I was. I was there. Oh, but it was very much pre-me. I was there, but I wasn't. Right. But I remember that happening. Thank you, Alan. Thank you also to all of our friends of the Tennis Podcast at whatever level, because without you, we wouldn't be here in New York. This is an expensive city. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we're very glad to be here covering this tournament, but it absolutely, even with our sponsors and uh, people that, that back the show in the way they do uh, on a corporate level and we're very grateful for them even with those we would not be able to be here if it weren't for friends of the tennis podcast so we thank you we will do our best to deliver you top-notch boco <laughs> as we always try to and if you would like to become a friend of the tennis podcast and get access to that content and support us in what we do year round the link to do that as always is in our show notes as is the link to subscribe to our newsletter which is just a reminder for you daily during the slams and it's excellent so without further ado i will leave you for a full 48 hours and i'll remind you that we'll be back on monday with our first us open 2023 daily show and we'll be back on sunday exact time tbc with our live youtube show we will see you and speak to you soon